0: You want to come on up here to the front? I want to show you something. Come on over here to to our table here. This, do you remember, Shane, what this was called? Joy. Joy. Peace. Peace. Love. Love. And hope. And hope. Joy, peace, love, and hope. This is called an advent wreath. Yeah, I knew that. And on an Advent wreath, there's always three purple candles. In our case, we use glass, and one pink candle, and one white candle. Even two white glasses. And two white glasses. So last week was the hope candle, yes. and we lit that one last. Time for this. No, it's time for the peace candle. Which one is the... for a week? And um, I was like, well, how are we going to work this out when it comes to Christmas time? Because I don't want to be I don't want to be mechanical. I don't want to be uh, in any way uh, have it contrived. I want it just to just to work on. Uh, you know, I want it to just flow naturally. And today is the 16th chapter of Matthew. That's what we're supposed to be in. And today is the peace day in church, uh, in the church calendar. And I was like, honestly, this week I was going, Lord, these verses don't really Lend to peace or talk about peace and how in the world can and the Lord was like, just calm down, we'll be fine. So as I was preparing this sermon, God just just started downloading stuff to my brain. So I what I'm going to do for us this morning, what I'm going to do with us this morning, we're just going to walk through this chapter. We're going to not read every single word, but we're going to talk about all of the elements of this chapter. So if you will open the book to Matthew, chapter 16. And we're going to look at chapter 16, chapter, verses 1 all the way through to 28. And chapter 16, 1 through 4 is one more time where the Pharisees and the Sadducees are coming to test Jesus. The interesting thing, though, and we we talked about this for the last couple of weeks, the Pharisees, as I said, and the Sadducees, these are people who truly want to live holy, righteous and pure lives. They want to teach the people of Israel to live righteously. Why? Because they want the Messiah to come. And that's what's so ironic about this is because these guys have gotten so riled up. They don't want Jesus to rock the boat because the Messiah is coming and you're going to ruin everything. They're missing it that Jesus is the Messiah. And the other thing that I read this week in my study was Pharisees and Sadducees were actually at odds with each other. But they came together with a common foe. (laughs) And their intent was to harm Jesus, to ruin his reputation in the public's eyes so that people would stop following him. So it says, verse one, the Pharisees and the Sadducees rivals when it comes to their political power, rivals when it comes to their theology joined together to test jesus and they came to him and they said show us a sign from heaven a sign from heaven that way we will know that you truly are the anointed one and jesus unflappable didn't get upset was just straightforward looked at him He said, when it's evening and the sky's red, you say it's going to be fair weather. Or when the sky's red in the morning, you say, oh, it's going to be storms. You know how to do the natural stuff, but you're missing it with the spiritual stuff. And the thing that's so crazy, guys, is that you're the leaders. You're the religious leaders of this nation, and you are missing it. And then verse 4. And evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Those are pretty powerful and indicting words. Because he's literally calling them evil. And calling them adulterous. Wow. In other words, they're not putting their allegiance or their heart to God For all intents and purposes, they're in a a covenantal relationship with God, supposedly. And they are looking for anything to line up with what they want, what their desires are, what their dreams are, what their vision is. And so Jesus finally looks at him and says, you're not going to get any sign from heaven other than the sign of Jonah. And the reality is, if you go back to Matthew, I think it's chapter 12, he said exactly the same thing to another group. The only thing you're going to get from me is a sign of Jonah. And you'll get it. I promise you will get it. And the sign of Jonah is three days in the belly of the whale, which is the tomb. And then he'll come back. That's the sign you're going to get. That will prove to you that I am who I am. But for now, just take me at my word. Now, he leaves them, verse five, verse 4, and departs. And they go to the other side. What other side? This is the lake. The, the lake is always... The, the, the road, if you will, the road system that they travel on. So verse five, they go to the other side of the lake and all of a sudden the disciples are like, oh, man, we forgot to get some bread before we left. So they're in this remote area. And there's no food. And Jesus, trying to teach them, says, you guys need to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they're like, oh, he knows we didn't bring any bread. Oh, my goodness. And Jesus is like, what are you guys worried about Bread. weren't you there when I fed 5,000 people with how many loaves was it? Five loaves and two fish. What about the 4,000 when we had just seven loaves? Don't you get it? I don't need you to bring bread. I'm not worried about bread. I can make rocks turn into bread if I need to. I'm talking about something totally different. And all of a sudden, it dawns on the disciples. Verse 12. Because Jesus said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And all of a sudden, the light goes on and the disciples finally get it. Verse 12, he's talking about the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These guys are the leaders of the nation. These guys are the ones that are um, supposed to be leading us, the nation of Israel, to God and Jesus, the, Jesus, God is saying, "Beware of them, because their teaching is scary, and it's going to like leaven in a large lump of flour. It's going to spread and infect, if you will. Beware of it." So then they come into a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, again, the Bible kind of, kind of. As far as timeline. We don't know how long of a timeline was here. Could have been the day. Could have been later on that day. Could have been a week. We don't know. But they have reached the part. They were in this remote area. Jesus is teaching them. Don't pay attention. I mean, beware of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because they're leading people astray. They are, they are, it's going to be a, a cancer that's going to infect and going to spread. And then they go to this place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, the words of the, na- of the towns and stuff in the Bible kind of get confusing for us because we don't have a map that's readily available in our brains. But if you look, if you could look at a map, you would see there's a place called Caesarea, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And that was a, 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 a kind of a, 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 a resort area, a seaport area. That's not this place. This is Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is actually like 25 miles north or or so of of the top of, of of the Lake of Galilee. So it's way up north. And what this is, it tells us that there's a mountain there. The Bible doesn't say this, but scholars know that there's a mountain there called Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon is an area where there is a worship of the god Pan. And the god Pan has a temple? They have a temple erected over the the the, uh, uh, the 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 area of the headwaters of the Jordan River, and it's known as the Gates of Hell. So Jesus is up in Caesarea Philippi, at the area known as the Gates of Hell, and he's talking to his disciples, and he says to them the people say that the son of man is and the guys are just talking and so they well uh, some people think you're John the uh, John the John the Baptist and other people say Elijah somebody said Jeremiah once I heard somebody say that and somebody else said one of the prophets and then Jesus stops looks him in the eye and says who do you say I am and Peter the scripture tells us he said You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus' answer to him is incredibly powerful. He says, you are very blessed, Simon. This was not revealed to you by human beings. This was not revealed to you by philosophy, by any kind of study, by any kind of reasoning. This was revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. And I'm telling you, Peter, it is on this rock that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's literally saying, you see this It's right here that we've been looking at? This, this, this huge representation of the dark world. Not even the power of the enemy can stand against the truth of the gospel. I am the son of, of man. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of the Living God. That's the truth you need to hold to. That's what you need to understand. This comes from Father. It doesn't come from reasoning. You can't argue it. You can't prove it through logic. It is a matter of faith. And you need to own it by faith. And I'm telling you, this truth Will withstand anything the enemy can throw at you. It will destroy. It will bring. It will ruin chaos. Verse nineteen, he says, "I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." And then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Think about the power that Jesus was talking about that the disciples were going to get. As a result of this faith, this belief. Think about, if you go into the book of Acts, what did Peter do? This is the guy Peter that Jesus is talking to. What did Peter do in the book of Acts? I'm sorry? Acts 2.38. Yeah, we're, 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 are we well, let's look at that real quick. Let me, let, let's just pull that up. Sorry, my fingers are not working as fast as I want it to be. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it said, as a result of his preaching the truth, 3000 people came to the, to the faith that day. God used this faith of Peter. That God, the Father, gave the information. It wasn't reasoned. It wasn't logicked out. It wasn't handed down through teaching. This is something the Father revealed to Peter. And Peter, owning that truth, is now sharing that truth. Acts 2.38, and 3,000 people come to know him. If you go further into the book of Acts, chapter 4. I mean, Peter and John, excuse me, chapter three, Peter and John are walking to the temple at the time of prayer. And there's a a lame man who's been 38 years laying there, I think it was. And he's he's looking up, he says, help, help, I need something. And Peter says, I don't have anything to give you uh, except one thing. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And he reaches out and lifts the man up. And the man who has been lame for 38, 40 years stands up and walks. What happened in Acts chapter 5? Peter looks at Ananias and Sapphira and says, how dare you? How dare you try to lie to God? And instantly, both of them drop dead. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 16. I am giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. This truth that you are holding on to, that was revealed to you by the Father, this truth is going to just explode the earth if you walk in it by faith, Peter, and the rest of you. And then he starts talking about his death. Now, Jesus' whole point, and we, we talked about this weeks ago, Jesus' whole point, once he got the twelve. His whole point was to get these guys educated to be to to understand backwards, forwards, inside and out what the plan of God was, because the time was going to come when Jesus was going to be removed and they were going to have to pick up the ball and carry it. So Jesus is now taking them even further now that they know that they know, because if you remember back a couple chapters ago, when Jesus walked on the water, they worshiped him and they said he was the son of God. They were in the boat. Peter walked on the water. Jesus and he got back in the boat. And they looked at him. And the, and the wind ceased. And the guys worshipped Jesus. And they declared, truly you are the son of God. And now... Peter is saying, you are the Christ, you are the anointed one, you are the son of God, you are the one we've been waiting for, you are the one that is going to bring, bring all of the peace that we are expecting, everything that we hope for, that's what we're, and Jesus says, that's the truth, and that's what I'm going to build the kingdom of heaven on, and you need to hold it and own it, and then he takes them even deeper and further into the teaching. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. Why would he be telling them this? What, has, what have they been taught by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes up to this point? They had been taught that the Messiah was going to come and throw off the yoke of Roman oppression and Roman rule and they were going to go back to being an independent nation. That's what they've been taught by their religious leaders. And Jesus is saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That is not the plan of God. The plan of God is that I am the the anointed one. I am the Messiah. I am the one that's come. And I am going to be, be killed by these guys. That's the plan of God. You need to understand that. You need to hold to it. There's a reason that it's important. You don't know all of it yet, but you're going to know it yet. And when you do... You're going to see incredible, powerful stuff. Just begin to own this. Know this. Hold on to it. It's a truth beyond truth. It's beyond anything you can understand. But when you get a hold of it, it's going to empower you. The Holy Spirit of God is going to powerfully inhabit you. And you're going to be used of God to bring about great and glorious things. And what happens when Jesus tells this to the disciples? They go, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's. No, that's not what happened. What happens? Read it. Peter takes him aside. Now, one of the scholars that I was reading said he didn't go, and hey, Peter, hey, Jesus, come here for a second. No, Peter went, oh, no, no, shut up, that's not what's going to happen. Look at verse 22. Peter took Jesus aside. And began to rebuke him. Wow. That takes a lot. You're declaring him to be God. And then you're rebuking him. In one instant. And he says to him. Far be it from you Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turns to Peter. And with all of the love and compassion and care. Looks him in the face and says, get out of here, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God. You are setting your mind on the things of man. In one breath. Literally. Jesus is saying, you got it, Peter. You got this from the Father. Hold on to that. That is the power. That is what's going to see you through that. Get behind me, Satan. What was going on there? Why such a harsh, harsh is a small word. This was a pretty big thing that was going on here. Can you imagine being Peter and having God look at you and say, Get behind me, Satan. What do you mean? Are you call me Satan? But think about this. What do we teach about Jesus? What do we understand in our theology? Jesus is fully God. But he is also fully human. What does that mean to be fully human? That means that he is susceptible to temptation now in the book of first corinthians chapter 10 verse either 13 or 31 i can never get it right it says god allows temptation but always provides a way out now jesus being a fully human individual is able to be tempted and what's happening here is almost exactly the same as what happened in Matthew chapter 4 when the enemy tempted Jesus to circumvent the plan of God while Jesus was fasting in the wilderness. And what did Jesus say at the, la- at the end of the third temptation? Get behind me, Satan. And the same thing is going on here. Jesus was not chastising Peter for being a bad boy. Jesus wasn't being mean spirited to Peter or belittling Peter or making him feel small. Jesus was doing kingdom work here. This is not your territory, Satan. Get out of here. Isn't it interesting? That a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, someone who gets it, someone who hears directly from the Father, can be used to cause serious temptation and possible harm to the plans of the kingdom? Ouch. Jesus said to Peter, you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. Another way of saying it, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Always, always keep your focus on God's word. What is God the Spirit revealing to you as you pray, as you read, as you study, as you share with others? If at any point you start Going a different way because it doesn't make sense to me. This is, of course, the way it's supposed to be. Before you open your mouth, you better get on your face before the father and say, is this of you or is this of some other thing? Is the enemy trying to cause havoc and harm? Chaos is Are you indeed calling me a different route? I mean, it's possible that God could indeed be calling you down a different path than you have ever walked before. And it is perfectly within God's plan. So just because it's different from what you've always thought doesn't mean it's wrong. You have to prayerfully discern, is it of God? I thought I was going to be a pastor. Right after my first enlistment in the United States Air Force, I got out of the Air Force after 4 years, started going to Bible college. I mean, started going to college to get my degree so that like you want to get to seminary so I could become a pastor. And within 3 weeks of getting out of the Air Force, God told me during a quiet time with God, go back on active duty. What? That doesn't make sense, God. You've called me to be a minister. You've called me to be a pastor. I'm walking that path. Why would you tell me to go back on active duty? Just do it. What? This doesn't make sense, God. Just do it. Now, to make a long story short, what I didn't know and couldn't have known, because it hadn't happened for yet, it wasn't going to happen for another five months, was my wife got pregnant with our first child. And that child, uh, my wife ended up developing pre- preeclampsia or toxemia during that pregnancy. And as a result, she had to be in a private hospital in a single bed room for upwards of almost a month before the baby. I mean, for three weeks before the baby was born and then three to five days after the baby was born. So it was almost a full month in a private room in a private hospital. How in the world could a Bible college didn't pay for all of that? But Uncle Sam had a nice insurance plan going. And so I didn't have to pay a penny other than the daily rate of, you know, 20 bucks a day or whatever it was. I couldn't have foreseen that. But God knew what was coming down the pike, so God altered the plan. And as long as I verified with God that the plan was changing, that's cool to change. As long as you get on your face and do it because God tells you to do it. And that was that's the way we've lived our lives. We, I mean, I could go time after time after time after time throughout my life and show all the different things that God has done Different paths that I've ended up on all because God had an ultimate plan of having me be a pastor in Two Rivers, Alaska. And he had to take me on this journey to get me all the tools I needed to be ready to do this. But had I said, well, I'm going to be a faithful Christian. I'm going to continue on and go to seminary. God would be going, listen to me. And in the same way, That would be me allowing the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees into my walk. Because I was taking man's thoughts, man's processes, man's understanding, and not what God wanted. Because what God was doing here in Matthew chapter 16 was something totally different. Everyone was expecting this, and this is what was happening. And Jesus was trying to get 12 guys to own it. Why? Because the world was going to explode after the resurrection. With the power of God through these 12 guys. But he had to get them to the point where they didn't listen to the false teaching. Where they could learn to discern when God was speaking to them. Look at the last part of this chapter. This chapter seems from the outside to be just a hodgepodge of thoughts all crammed into one chapter. But there's an incredible stream that's going on that Matthew did when he wrote this. Look at this last paragraph, verse 24 through 28. Jesus then told the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus says to his friends, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Oh. We didn't bring any bread. And he knows it. Guys, I'm not talking about bread. I have power to provide food. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about don't let human thought affect what God has revealed to you. You get it? All right. Who am I? You're the son of God. Great. God the Father himself has revealed that to you. Hold on to that. Own that. Let's start walking in that truth. All right, let's take you deeper. God's got a plan different from anything you've ever heard before. God's got this incredible plan and it's going to involve me dying. No, it's not. I rebuke you. Satan, get out of my Lord. That's what Peter was basically saying. And Jesus wasn't offended. Jesus was tempted to circumvent the plan. And in order to break that temptation, because remember, First Corinthians chapter 10 says, with every temptation, there will be an opportunity to escape. Jesus took it. He took the escape door and said, get behind me, Satan. I will not listen to this. And then he says to his friends, every single one of you, if you truly want to be my follower, you have to give up your own stuff. You have to willingly submit to whatever the Father wants for you, up to and including laying down your life. Whatever cross God asks you to bear, it is yours to bear. And you need to own this. If you do, I can't even describe to you the things that are going to happen. But let me tell you, you're going to do greater things than I ever did in the three years I've been on this earth. Those are Jesus' words to his disciples. Not here in Matthew. But that's what he told them. He said, if you will do what I'm asking you to do, if you will submit to the Father, if you will deny yourself and allow the Father to work through you, greater things will be done by you than you've ever seen me do. Well, what did they see Jesus do? heal people, raise from the dead, walk on water, defy the laws of nature. I'm going to be able to do that. Wow. And I would submit to you, that same promise holds true for every single one of you. If you will own the truth, if you will Learn to listen to the teachings that God reveals to you. If you will not allow the leaven of the Pharisees to come in and twist and warp the truth that God has revealed to you. If you will walk in that, the power of the Holy Spirit will work through you and you will see incredible things in your own life. I want you to pick on somebody. I won't call out the name because we're recording. There's a person sitting in this room who, because of their willingness to sacrifice their own stuff, there are teenagers safe in this town right now. Because they, this person willingly sacrificed their own stuff in order to make sure a ministry got put in place so that people who are, in, are literally being thrown out of their homes with no way of supporting themselves Have a safe place to be warm and fed while they're trying to get their feet back underneath them. That's one person in this room that God has used in that powerful, mighty, glorious way. What could God do through you if you would willingly submit yourself to God and allow him, allow him? To do the work he wants to do through you. What truth is he revealed to you that for whatever reason you're not walking in? That's what's here. And let me tell you, the whole thing about peace. In order to have the peace of God in your life, you have to be in right relationship with God. And if God has revealed truth to you and you're not walking in that truth, you're not in right relationship with God. You're in rebellion against God. And you can't hope to have peace. So if you want peace, settle it with God, whatever it is. Whether it's sin or fear or anger or who knows? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow him. Powerful, glorious things will happen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so very much for what you are accomplishing through us and what will happen in the future as we release to you and just just let go and allow you to walk work in our lives help us Jesus we give you praise amen